The following message was given by Raymond Goodland on Sunday, May 6th at Redemption Hill Church. For more information about the church, visit us online at www.redemptionhill.com. Again, for those who may not know me, my name is Raymond and I'm one of the pastors here. Do me a big favor if you would, open up your Bibles to Luke chapter 15. Luke chapter 15, we're actually, before we end this morning, we're going to read the entire chapter there. And before we get there, let me remind us that we started a new series last week. So if you weren't with us, then we started a new series we're, we're calling Sent, the Mission of Jesus. Sent, the Mission of Jesus. In John chapter 20, verse 21, after he had been raised from the dead, Jesus says, just as the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And so we said, we said last week that in one sense, as Christians, we don't simply go anywhere anymore. We're actually sent by Jesus into our homes, into our schools, into our neighborhoods, into our workplace. We're sent into all the world to reflect Jesus there with the hope that others will come to know him. We're sent by Jesus. And we, we said also that the purpose for which Jesus sends us into the world is always and at every time connected to the purpose for which he was sent into the world. So what we're doing in this series is we're taking a look at some of the statements Jesus himself made about why he came into the world. And so last week we took a look at Luke chapter 19 verse 10, where as Jesus met a man named Zacchaeus, he concluded that time there saying in verse 10, the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. The son of man came to seek and to save the lost. And we're actually gonna do part two of that this morning. The son of man came to seek and to save the lost. And this time, instead of meeting someone like Zacchaeus, who had never really met Jesus before, but was curious to know more about him, we're gonna, we're gonna see some different characters that Jesus interacts with. And we're gonna do that as we read Luke chapter 15, verses one through 32. Let me pray for us before we read that passage. Lord, I ask for some special help this morning because I know that this is a very familiar passage for many of us, certainly for me. But I don't want the familiarity of this. And, and for me, I don't want the familiarity with talking about this, this passage to get in the way of what you want to do in each one of our hearts. So, so please help us to listen to you with as much care and as much attention as I imagine those who were sitting in the room with you when you first told this story would have been listening. And we ask all of those things through your spirit, Jesus. And everybody said, amen. Luke chapter 15, beginning in verse one. And we're gonna read a little bit and talk a little bit, take a page out of Robert's book. That's how we'll go through the passage this morning. Verse one, now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear him, that is Jesus. So first pause, sinners, you could put it in scare quotes if you wanted to. He's referring there to a very specific kind of person and we'll get some help from the rest of the passage as we read to know exactly who it is he's talking about there. But suffice it to say for now that these were the people that everybody would agree upon 
These were some of the worst of the worst when it came to the lifestyles that they led, the things that you could observe about them, the tax collectors and the sinners. And with them in that room, verse 2, the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. Now, obviously, the way they use the term sinners there is meant to distinguish themselves from whoever it is they're talking about as sinners, the other people in the room. And verse 3 says, so he, that is Jesus, told them this parable. So, because of what just happened, namely, the really good people on the surface, the Pharisees and the scribes, because they were looking down on the others and looking at them as sinners, and, and I imagine voiced this as it says here, for that reason Jesus told them this parable. And that's one of the most important things to understand about this passage. For years I had always heard the story that you and I know as the story of the prodigal son. I had always heard that only as something that other people needed to hear. People who on the surface were very reckless and loose and sinful, but certainly people like me didn't need to hear something like that. But I had missed verse three. So, this is why Jesus is about to tell this parable. He's sitting in a room with mixed company. Tax collectors, other sinners, religious people who look really great on the surface. And if you want a good way to understand who the scribes and Pharisees were, the scribes were the people who knew everything about the Bible, backwards and forwards. And the Pharisees were known to be the best of the best when it came to keeping all the rules, at least on the surface. Their behavior was better than anyone else's, and the scribes knew more than anyone else. And so they were respected for those things. That's who's in the room here and Jesus looks at these really religious people and, and Bible know-it-alls who are looking down on these other sinners, and when he sees that happening, he begins to say what you and I read starting in verse four. Now what man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors saying to them, rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Now, Jesus is not saying that there's really a person who needs no repentance, let alone 99 of them, but he's saying, I understand that this is how people tend to see themselves, as not needing repentance when they compare themselves to other people who clearly need repentance. And Jesus is saying, I want you to understand something about heaven. There is a party that happens in heaven when one person who does not know Jesus and who turns around in his or her heart, when one person sees Christ for who he really is and gives himself or herself to him for forgiveness and eternal life, heaven rejoices. And Jesus is trying to say, so should you. By the way, this is one of the reasons why as a church, 
that follows Jesus Christ. We can never become content simply caring for one another. We must do that, and that is very important to the Lord. We must care for each other as Christians. However, there is always to be an outward-facing component to our life together as a church. We are always to be looking for those opportunities to bring others to the Lord who do not yet know him. And that's why we said last week that evangelism, proclaiming the good news to others, that they might also come to share in hope, the hope that we now have in Christ, that this is just part of the Christian life. We want to always remember that and encourage each other to do so. Jesus continues here with this story. And he says, what woman, verse eight, having 10 silver coins, what woman, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it? And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors saying, rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. Just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. So, so far, two stories. In each story, something precious is lost, it's found, and when it's found, it becomes the occasion for great rejoicing. And now Jesus comes to the parable that you and I know as the story of the prodigal son. Perhaps his most famous story ever, it's either this or the one about the Good Samaritan in Luke chapter 10. But, but this is one of his most famous, if not the most famous story he has ever told. Rembrandt has done paintings of this. Books have been written about this. But on this occasion, Jesus would tell it to this crowd for the very first time. And here's how it went, verse 11. And he said, there was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. Now, one of the ways you should hear that and understand it, and I imagine his father heard it this way, was pretty much like, Dad, I wish that you were just dead and out of the way. See, this inheritance was to come to the younger son when the father had died, and then it would pass on to him. But he couldn't wait for that. And he said, you know, I, just, I can't stand living here. I want to get out of here. I want to go and live the life that I want to live. There's stuff that I got to see. There's stuff I want to experience. And I know it's completely opposite of what you and maybe you and mom had always encouraged in us and always wanted for us. But I want to do it anyway, and, and I want you to finance it. So give me my stuff now. Have you, have you ever had this thought? Have you ever, have you ever used God's goodness against him? You know he loves you and you know he's so good and so merciful that you know you can be really bad and he's gonna forgive you anyway. Of course you have. That's what was going on in this younger son's heart. He knew that. He knew his father was gonna love him anyway. Even if he completely rejected him in the moment and asked him to finance his sinful lifestyle. And so he takes advantage of his father's goodness. Father, loving his son, certainly brokenhearted at this point, I'm sure. And verse 12 says he divided his property between them. Now, not many days later, the younger son had gathered all that he had and he took a journey into a far country. 
And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country and he began to be in need. So he went out and he hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate and no one gave him anything. Verse 17, O glorious day. Verse 17, but when he came to himself, or I love the way the New International Version says it here, when he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? No. I will arise and go to my father and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And so, verse 20, he proceeded to carry that plan out. Verse 17, he comes to his senses. Verse 20, he does even better than that. He arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. Literally, the Bible says here that he fell on his neck and kissed him. The the overwhelming joy of a parent who sees his child, maybe for the first time in years, not knowing whether or not that child was even still alive. Verse 21, and the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. Pause. He's finally gotten it. His life, his sin was not simply a violation of what his father wanted for him. It was not simply, I've done things that my parents don't want me to do. His sin was no longer simply a violation of social or cultural norms in his eyes. He understood that his sin was first and foremost against God. And more than that, he actually cared about that. Those are two different things. You can realize that your sin is primarily against God and not care about that. But the younger son was beginning to care. So verse 21, he says, I have sinned against heaven and before you, I am no longer worthy to be called your son. He might even have had a note card at this point with his his speech laid out for him, but he doesn't get to finish it. Because in verse 22, his father interrupts what he had planned, interrupts his son, and verse 22 says, the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe. Now, don't, 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 don't just bring any robe you find. Bring that one, the, the, yes, the best one. You know exactly which robe I'm talking about. Go get it. And not just the robe. He says, and, and get a ring. Put it on his hand. Put shoes on his feet. And bring the fattened calf and kill it. And let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now, I was not there, obviously, when Jesus first told this story. 
But I imagine he pauses at this point. Long enough for everyone to conclude what they would naturally conclude at this point. The story is finished. The point has been made. Something precious was lost, it was found, and a big party happened after we found it. Heaven is rejoicing because this lost son is back. He's alive again. Great story, Jesus. And then I do hope they have that movie theater in heaven that we keep talking about. I hope that one day we get to see all of the scenes that are here in the Bible, how they actually played out in in full color with everybody's faces. And and I, I wanna see this moment where everybody thinks the story is over and then all of a sudden, Jesus says, verse 25, now his older son was out in the field. Wait, wait a minute. Wait, there's more? Why are we talking about the older son? We've already found the, the, the son who was lost. Right? We, we found the thing that was lost. We, we found it. We, we had the party. There, there's, what do you mean? Why are we talking about this guy? It was about 15 years ago, I saw this for the very first time as I was reading this or listening to someone speak about it, and it changed my life. Jesus' entire point was to talk about this guy, the older son. Now, every time I hear a sermon on the, uh, on the prodigal son, it's usually, I should have waited for next week on Mother's Day. It's usually at Mother's Day where moms bring their, their wayward children to church you know, at one of the three times of the year that those, those children come back, Easter, Mother's Day, Christmas. We call them the EMC believers, right? Easter, Mother's Day, and Christmas. But no, Jesus' point was to actually drive something home to those who were in the room with him and who resembled the older son in his story. I dare say I think Jesus' point this morning is to drive this home to us. Now, before I read the rest of this story, I want you to see things from the older son's perspective for just a bit. Your younger brother, your reckless, sinful, disobedient younger sibling has already received his portion of the inheritance and has squandered it. It's gone. So everything that your father has left belongs to whom? Yeah. So one day when your brother comes back home and your father decides in his joy that he's going to throw the most expensive party you have ever seen, he's going to kill the fattened calf I mean, that, that's a lot of money. Any of you, any of you do the butcher thing and, and get cows and put it in your freezer? That's a lot of money. And there's a lot more than that, that fattened calf going on. I mean, this is on par with, and I would say more expensive than any wedding you have ever been to and for some of you that you've ever paid for. I know that's hard to believe, but, but let's just go with that. How happy do you think the older son is about this party? 
Whose inheritance is diminishing at this point? Oh, yeah. So now let's read verse 25 on. His older son was in the field, and he came and drew near to the house. He heard music and dancing, which apparently was very odd in in this house. Verse 26, and he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And the servant said to him, your your brother has come, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. That's my fattened calf. Wait a minute. This was like when I would, I would finish my ice cream or whatever, whatever it is I, I, I finished and I had three brothers and I would just start to look at their bowl. Like, do you, you, you want all of that? And they would, you know, they would do that thing where they just, it's like I can still see it even if your elbow's in front of it, you know. But they, they, they had no interest in giving me any of what belonged to them after I had already consumed what belonged to me. I kept trying. Jesus says you should be persistent, you know, keep asking and don't give up. But they were never interested in sharing with me what rightly belonged to them at that point. This older son was not interested in footing the bill for this party. At least in his eyes, that's how he sees it. So in verse 28, the Bible says he was angry, and he refused to go in. But his father came out and entreated him. Now, isn't it interesting that just like the father has to go out to the younger son, he's got to go out to the older one as well. He refuses to come in because he resents his father. The father goes out in verse 29, and he says to him, or the the older son says to his father, look, all these years I have served you. I never disobeyed your command. Or as the NIV says, I I never broke one of your rules. Yet you never gave me even a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. So this must have been a good thing to get a goat, right? From your dad, I suppose. He he makes it sound like a really good thing. I I don't quite get that, different culture. But apparently getting a goat from your dad would have been a, a very good and enviable thing. But you didn't even give me a goat. And, and when this son of yours, watch this, verse 30, when this son of yours, not acknowledging that it's my brother, when this son of yours comes home, by the way, you know what he's been doing, right? You've seen his Instagram account. I mean, you, you know what he's been doing out there. Or if you haven't seen it, everybody else has. Do, do, I mean, do you, do you, when this son of yours came who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed a fattened calf for him? In his heart, the older son is saying, what, what, what kind of father does this? I mean, what kind of father gives his very best to such a reckless and sinful child? What, what kind of a father welcomes home such a sinful and disobedient son at the expense of an obedient one. Who does that? 
But here's where the father speaks and he gives his older son perhaps the best glimpse of the difference between his own heart and the heart that his older son is displaying. And he says here in verse 31, son, you are always with me and all that is mine is yours. But it was fitting to celebrate and be glad for this brother of yours, not just my son, this brother of yours was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. Where where is your joy? Why, when I look at your eyes and when I listen to your voice, why is there no love and no compassion for your brother? Why is there only judgment in your voice? Why is there only this sense of entitlement that, that somehow you are the one who deserves all this did you think all along that, that, that in keeping these rules you were earning something? That's, that's exactly what he believed. Now, now here's what we want to do with the rest of our time. I just want to walk through how I think Jesus wants us to understand this story today. As you read it and understand it, you can see that far from this being a a story primarily about one lost son, it's really about a loving father, isn't it? It's a story about a loving father with two lost sons. If the younger son is lost in self-indulgence, the older son is lost in self-righteousness. He sees himself as so much better than his brother. He sees himself as deserving of the father's good things. The younger son comes home and says, I'm I'm not even worthy to be called your son. I don't deserve anything. I I don't deserve to be treated this well. The older son says, I deserve to be treated much better than I'm being treated. Again, if the younger son was lost prior to verse 17 in self indulgence, then the older son even now is lost in self-righteousness. On the surface now, they could not look more different. You you see that, on the surface, they couldn't possibly look more different. In terms of behavior and what we can see with our eyes, the younger son looked really bad. And in fact was, prior to verse 17, really, really bad. You notice Jesus never says anything to affirm what the younger son was doing. It was bad, it was dangerous, it was reckless, it was sinful, it was out of bounds. On the surface, the younger son looked really bad. The older son looked really good. His lifestyle looked really clean. The younger son broke all the rules, the older son kept all the rules. But when you look deeper, where you look to the heart, they actually had the same problem. They had the same heart underneath the surface. Neither one of them realized that their greatest treasure all along was their loving father. Neither one of them prized or valued the relationship they had with him the way they should have. Instead, all they were waiting for, each in their own way, all they were waiting for was something that he might give them one day. The younger son, 
uses his knowledge of the father's goodness against him and says, here, I I know that you'll give me what I want right now. It's not you. I don't want you at all. I just want your stuff. And I know that you're so good, you'll give it to me even as I completely reject you and everything that you've wanted for my life. And he uses the father's goodness to get what he really wants. The older son uses his obedience to get what he really values. Again, not the father himself, but just something his father might give him one day. I just want a goat. I want a big party. I I want a little advance on my inheritance. Same heart, even though they look so different on the surface. And this, ladies and gentlemen, is what Jesus is trying to drive home. It is very possible to look very clean on the outside. It is very possible to keep all the rules and still be very lost. And lost people like that, you've gotta come here to find them. You come right here to find lost people like that. This is where we know how to be clean. And listen, don't, don't get me wrong. We're not saying that in order to prove that you're not lost like that, you should try to be as bad as you can. And I wish that were a joke, but that is exactly what some of you have fallen into. I'm going to prove that I'm not a Pharisee by being bad, by sinning, and letting others know how sinful I am so that I can prove I'm not a Pharisee. Well, you don't don't score any points for that either. The objective here is to come to know this loving Father and to have his love and his grace transform us so that we become much more like him, like his son, Jesus Christ. Have Have you ever done the older son thing where where you may not have realized it, but you're actually using God as a way to get heaven for yourself. What you really value is this thing that he might give you one day and you're using him to get it. As opposed to using heaven to get God, who is the real treasure. You're using God to get heaven. Well, what do you think will be there? What is the grand treasure of heaven if it's not God himself? And if you value heaven more than you value God now, why will you all of a sudden value him more then when, when, you're, when you're in heaven? I mean, it, it's not how this works. He is our great reward. That's what he said to Abraham so long ago. Fear not, I am your shield, your very great reward. It's, it's me. Not me, but you understand it, it, The Lord, Jesus Christ himself, is our inheritance. Right? So with the rest of our time, here's here's what I want to do. Let's examine our hearts. Let's bring this right down to where we are and examine our hearts. When this story breaks in, there's always mixed company in the room. Some of us may say, "I I think I'm more like that younger son type. Others of us may say, I think I might be more like the older son Still, others might say, I, I think I'm a pretty, uh, 
pretty unhealthy combination of both. All right, so that's kind of, uh, there are moments where that's where I find myself. I've, I have been able over the course of my walk with Christ to see elements of, of both of these sons in, in myself. All right, so in terms of the temptations that I face, I see some of the temptations of the younger son. Uh, and by the grace of God, he, he, he tends to keep me from going too far in that direction. And then when it comes to the, the, the older son and the self-righteousness there, it, it's something that I always have to bring back to God. I have to remember where he found me. I have to remember that it's only by his grace that you and I stand where we stand this morning. So let me put it this way. Maybe you're, you're thinking I'm kind of like, like this younger son. Are you at that place now where, let's say maybe you're a teenager. Not that you have to be a teenager for this to be true, but maybe you're, you're young. You're still under your parents' roof. Maybe you can't wait to break free from your parents, from their rules from the framework for godly living that they, they tried to, to give you. Or maybe you've already done that. Maybe, maybe you've already gone out there and you've broken free from your parents and you're chasing all these pleasures that you couldn't wait to go and, and taste out there that the world offers to you. And you're, you're currently like that younger son squandering some of your most precious days in pursuit of all those real but very destructive and, and very deceitful pleasures. They come to you, and they're real, but they come at way too high of a cost. Is that you this morning? Well, here's what we want you to know, if that is you. Number one, you're not a sheep, and you're not a coin. You're neither one of those things that Jesus talked about in his early parables. You're not a sheep, and you're not a coin. And here's why that's good news this morning. It's good news because neither one of those things can come to its senses. But by God's grace, you can. You can come to your senses like this younger son in verse 17. And more than that, in verse 20, like the younger son, you can come to your heavenly father. And the second thing we want you to know is that is exactly how we are praying for you. That you will come to your senses in true repentance and come to your heavenly father, that you'll begin to believe that the best life of all is found in a deeper and more satisfying relationship with him and with his son, Jesus Christ. And if you are going to come to him, John chapter 14, verse six tells us there's only one way to do it. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the father except through me. You must come through faith in Jesus Christ if you are to come to your heavenly father. That is exactly how we are praying for you. And finally, we want you to see God's own heart for you through this parable. Where real repentance exists, where you truly turn to your heavenly father, there is nothing more for you to do. There is nothing for you to earn. The father freely gives you full forgiveness and a place in his home eternally. Eternal life, freely given. It's a gift that you receive. And it can be yours today, today. You don't have to prove anything to us. You don't need to worry right now about what anyone in this room thinks about you. Between you and your heavenly father, he calls you to come to him through faith in his son, Jesus Christ. And if you do, Today, 
you have his full assurance of pardon and all the eternal life your little heart can contain. If we confess our sins, 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, God is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Whatever you've done, whatever you've done, your heavenly Father is poised and ready to forgive and to cleanse you of all unrighteousness through the blood of his son, Jesus Christ. Parents, my, my, my oldest child is only 11 years old. Um, so I, I, I apologize. I almost feel like what I want to say to you as parents, I almost can't say uh, with the full empathy that I think this deserves. But many of you we've spoken to and we know you've watched your children go down a path that you would never choose for them. We understand how much that hurts. We see it in your, in your voice. We hear it. What we want to say to you is be encouraged. The last chapter has not yet been written. It may very well be that there is a verse 17 coming for your child where he or she comes to his or her senses by the grace of God. And if in the meantime it means that we must continue to pour out our tears, if we even have any left, then as it were, let, let our, our tears wash the feet of Jesus in prayer and trust him every step of the way and trust him every step of the way. And let's, let's come around each other and supply the support and the encouragement that we all need for those challenges in life. And maybe you're here like the older son. Maybe you're here like the older son, and you, you find elements of that mentality in your heart when things don't go your way. The older son resented his father because he thought that his obedience and all the keeping of the rules was going to earn something for him. And sometimes we struggle with things like that. For instance, you, you, perhaps you, you have a desire to be married one day, uh, and, and as you've pursued that desire, you just, you've gotten a sense that your sense of timing and God's sense of timing aren't lining up. You know, and, and, and that's not been easy. But sometimes the thought will enter our heart and we'll say, you know, God, I've, I've done it the right way. I've kept the rules. But, but here I am watching other people who have broken all the rules get the reward that I thought would come to me if I kept the rules. Right? And, and so life begins to teach us the reality that that, that sort of rule keeping is not a guarantee of anything. Right, And it exposes if we've been using that kind of obedience to get something from God. And if we're not careful, if we're not careful, we might even find some bitterness developing in our hearts, not just toward other people who are now having that, that celebration thrown for them, but toward God himself. The same could be said of, of those who, who, who find themselves waiting for, let's say, God to add children to their family. This is, this, you know, the timing hasn't lined up the way you would hope and, and, and plan. And then, and then the thought comes, man, it, it seems so easy for this person who clearly is an unfit parent. Why does it seem to come so easily to someone else who's breaking all the rules? 
Right? These are very difficult matters of the heart. They, we don't say this in judgment at all. It is very difficult, if, if even possible, it, it's very difficult to keep these thoughts from coming through your heart. You're, you're not necessarily in sin just because the thought passes through your heart, but be very careful. Be very careful and, and turn to your, your encouragement, your, your supporting family here. Turn for encouragement because, because those thoughts will overwhelm even the strongest of us. We're not built to be able to handle that alone. Spurgeon used to say quite often, you can't, you can't prevent the birds from flying overhead, but you can keep them from making a nest in your beard. Right? You won't be able to prevent these thoughts from appearing in your mind or your heart. It's very natural, but they don't have to overwhelm and overtake you. By the grace of God and through the encouragement of brothers and sisters, we can get through that together. All right? And the same could be said for a number of different situations, waiting for the salvation of loved ones. I know pastors can struggle with this. Man, we're doing everything the right way, Lord. We're, we're, we're preaching the gospel here. You know, we're, we're caring for people as if they truly were purchased by the blood of Christ. We're, we're, we're doing this the right way, but, but here, here, this other church over here starts preaching this prosperity gospel foolishness, and, and man, look at the size of that thing. Be faithful, brothers and sisters, be faithful. Be content with whatever God gives us on the path of faithfulness, and let's just trust him every step of the way. Resolve to never turn to the right or to the left, because that, that is the life we're called to lead. That is a life that God will pour himself through and he'll, he'll make himself known to others. Whether we end up in this life with little or much, better a little with faithfulness, the proverb says, than a great feast with all kinds of sin. I'll go back to this and I'll close with this, but go back to that last thought where the younger or the older brother is, is really struggling with resentment, and he says, what kind of a father would welcome home such a sinful and disobedient son at the expense of an obedient one? The best father of all. This is the gospel that we are proclaiming, that Jesus Christ, God's one and only truly obedient son, for every single one of us that is returning to the heavenly father in repentance and faith, Jesus Christ, the firstborn of the heavenly family, is footing the bill. Unlike the older son in the parable, Jesus, however, is willingly footing the bill. He paid for our return trip home on the cross with his very life. And he now freely offers us the benefits and the inheritance that by right should only belong to him. The only thing that keeps us from enjoying that inheritance is if, like the older brother, we refuse to go in. Don't refuse him this morning. Bow your head with me and let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you, Jesus, that you, you died on the cross to pay the price for our trip home to our Heavenly Father. We pray that you would further work in our hearts, Lord, that we would not, in self-righteousness, refuse 
to go in. Help us to find in our hearts the humility that came upon the younger son in this story. That we might truly come to you for forgiveness and eternal life. Lord, if we struggle, when we struggle with thoughts of superiority and self-righteousness, would you remind us that we ought not to go down that road? Would you remind us that it is only by your grace that we find a place in your family? And Lord, if we find ourselves right now on a sinful and reckless path, would you please help us to come to our senses and to return to you by faith in your son, Jesus Christ? And all these things we ask in your name, Jesus. And everybody said, amen. You've been listening to a message by Raymond Goodlett given at Redemption Hill Church in Richmond, Virginia. For more information on the church and to hear other messages, please visit us online at www.redemptionhill.com. Dot com.